Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, players report today. It's here. Breaking. It's here. You know, it's interesting, um, and I don't know the mentality today, but back in the day when dinosaurs roamed the earth and and I still put on a helmet, you kind of dreaded reporting to camp. You know, the, the two or three days leading up to it, you kind of dread it. Because back then, most of us were at home. We'd been working out on our own. There was no summer workouts. You, you got terribly excited when you got here, but you were terribly paranoid before you got here. The, the game is just a lot different now. These kids have been around each other all summer long, with the exception of the newcomers coming in, the new signees that didn't come in early. There's not a lot of... Um, um, anxiety about it because they're already, already into it. Uh, and uh, so, so, you know, the fans get all excited about it. I think it's just a little more routine for players than maybe it used to be. Well, to your point, because they are, they do spend so much time together. And uh, when you say players report, I mean, a lot of the reporters, uh, a lot of the players have been here. There's right. for four days their last hurrah before the season but they've been here most of the summer and not had huge huge breaks that's just the nature of it it truly is a year-round uh sport but nevertheless it's exciting the calendar's august first game is a month away now so it feels tangible and that's always the fun part and uh you know and, and then the unfun part is i feel like we cross fingers and just hope that you don't read a post-practice report that somebody got hurt or there's anything like that right well if you followed uh, the nfl and you've seen what's happened with the Broncos with their new coach versus last year's coach. Um, you know, the story last year for the Broncos is it was a very easy preseason. And as a result, they didn't play terribly well. And so now you got to get back and coach Norvell and his staff, they have to balance about how hard you work, how much you hit versus player protection, hydration, and those types of things. And, and your training staff, your strength staff, uh, you know, it's just way more important these days than it ever was. You mentioned the the hydration. I, I imagine it wasn't cool when you were going through two-a-days back in the day, even in high school in Wildwood. I'm sure it was pretty hot in Central Florida, KJ. But uh, Nolan has been at soccer camp from 2 to 4 p.m. this week, and it's not cool. And uh, I, I'm not sure, short of practicing at two in the morning, when you're going to escape the heat that's out there right now. It is no joke. Yeah, you 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 just really can't escape it. And of course, you know, days gone by, uh, hydration and water breaks and, and that type of thing were treated much differently than they are now, uh, appropriately treated differently now, uh, and just you know the balance of it and and the way they can monitor the kids and. And uh, those types of things, it's, it's a far different way of looking, much more scientific than, uh, you know, the, the old coach that refused to let you have water to make you tough. We're going to make you tough. Right. right. As, as we're uh, talking, we're actually recording this on Tuesday and uh, still need the waiver for the D tackle that Florida State's waiting on. And 
Keith, I know the NCA probably has a stack of 1,286 waivers across 27 sports and 316 institutions. But isn't there a way they could better prioritize and actually get some answers on some of these? No information has changed on this since he transferred to FSU. You know, it's it's the age old. I'm 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 I've not been a fan, and will probably never re regain fandom with the NCAA. But the problem with it is not the, the, the way that it drags on. The problem is the effect it has on the kids. And I, I realize those are probably the same thing, just talking out of different sides of my mouth. But, you know, what if he doesn't get the waiver? He went through spring ball. He's gone through summer workouts. He's showing up for camp. And then he's not eligible. You know, that's just not fair. If you, if you, you know, if the decision is he's not eligible, that decision should have been made before all that other work went into play. That's the injustice of it. Well, and then it affects, you're talking about how it affects the individual, but it affects the team in terms of how they run practice and how no many question. reps you award. I mean, and he is eligible to practice, if you're wondering, for our listeners' sake, uh, while he's waiting to hear on this. And regardless of how the appeal goes, he can continue to practice. But it changes your rotation and how many snaps you're going to award to him. Now, for the first two weeks of practice, probably not a huge deal. But the second half of August, you then know who's going to be getting the majority of reps. And they may not announce it, but they know who the second team is as well. So you need to know pretty soon. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's, you know, continues to be my biggest frustration with the bureaucracy that is, you know, way too much for an organization in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. All right, we got a good show ahead. Kurt Weiler is going to join us for a couple segments. Uh, Kurt Weiler, our Osceola insider. We'll, we'll talk about some of the key storylines. Uh, if you haven't heard, Florida State was picked second in the ACC. If you listen to this show, that's not a surprise. Keith, you weren't surprised at all about that, right? Not Based at all, not at all. All the reasons we've talked about. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll dive into it with Kurt in our next segment, and uh, we will continue uh, with Front Row Knowles and more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. We uh, crank open that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, and say hello to our Osceola Insider. This week, we reach into that uh, grab bag and we pulled out Kurt Weiler. How are you, Kurt? I'm good. I'm home this time. Nice to be doing this from home instead of my car on the road, but also yeah, nice well, to be doing it a few days before the start of preseason camp. Appreciate that devotion and dedication that you pulled off the I-75 into a rest stop or whatever to join us last time. Uh, you spent a lot of time on I-75 because you were just in Charlotte, I think. It, uh, Keith and I were not there this go around, but we've been there many times. We don't have to recap all the storylines, but did anything surprise you at all? Was there anything unique that came out of it other than people making fun of the commissioner who really, I'm not really sure what he's supposed to say given the hand, but it's a lose-lose situation for Jim Phillips. So yeah, he was obviously gonna, gonna get, uh, some of that for sure. Um, I was impressed with how Florida state handled the expectations of i mean being i guess they found out today second pick second in the acc not first but i think i saw a stat i retweeted a stat or i guess you're supposed to say reposted now whatever uh 
of the, about yeah. how Florida State had the the second most or the no the most second place votes of any team behind Clemson since kind of 2018, which Clemson's been picked every year over that span. But it was kind of like as close as it's been basically since Clemson's been kind of running the conference since Florida State really took a nosedive in 2018. But yeah, I think uh, they handled it well. I mean, I think a lot of people wanted to kind of get them to talk about, well, is Florida State back? Can this team make the playoff? Things like that. And I thought they kind of did well to avoid the the quotables, if you will, the the things that can get freezing cold take later. Kurt, how did the how did the players comport themselves? I was I was out at a local restaurant uh, the day that they got back at about eight thirty, and here walk here in walk Travis Jordan, uh, Jordan Travis rather, and I said. When did you get home? He says, about an hour ago. How did they comport themselves? All the reports I read were good. No, very well. Jordan, I mean, I think so. The ACC guy said, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago on with y'all that I felt like how many guys have gone three times. I think the, the, the press conference moderator said it was a record that no one's ever gone three times before. And Jordan's pretty candid in the morning. Jordan's not often the best quote, but especially in the local media session with us in the morning, I thought was about as candid as he's ever been talking about his past. I mean, he mentioned kind of like, I do feel more comfortable here this time. I was more nervous the, the, the first few times Jared verse was, I mean, the, uh, the, the star that I think I thought he would be at that event. I thought uh, I kind of, we got talked to him about his crash talking, which I think he called his casual conversation. He was just genuinely the very charismatic, personable guy that he is. He said his go-to trash talk line was, he says, the first time I play against guys, I tell them, I'm going to break you down and rebuild you in, in my image. And that, that always uh, bothers people and makes people upset, it seems like. And Alan Deloach, I thought, did very well, too. I think he's, of the choices, one of the more the more charismatic, a good representative type. And I think also to have, like I talked about, a, a homegrown guy among that bunch. So Kalen, I thought, did really well. I mean, him him and Jordan, have. it's crazy to say, him and Jordan are both in, in your, what, your five right now. So... So a big week for Florida State. They comport themselves well. Then they get three commitments over the weekend, including uh, Lester. And uh, by the time folks are listening to this, FSU will be in the Big Ten. No, just kidding, folks. We're not going to address the conference rumors. Uh, if and when there's movement, we'll come back to that story. But we're going to leave that on the shelf right now. Obviously, we're taping on Tuesday, but the Board of Trustees meets on Wednesday. Players also reporting on Wednesday, and it, and it gets to the start of fall camp. Just to close the book on the on the preseason rankings real quick, Kurt, I think none of us are surprised that Clemson came out on top. We talked in advance about, I mean, to be the best, you got to beat the best in the game is in Clemson this year. And the great majority of media are from more in the Tobacco Road area than the state of Florida. That said, do you like the fact that FSU is still the hunter instead of the hunted? In that regard, I think, I mean, obviously the narrative changes a lot this year, but I think it could help them that, they're kind of not going from what were they picked last year? I think fifth in the Atlantic or fourth in the Atlantic to like to win the ACC. I think it helps not. I mean, they're already going to have plenty of expectations, but it helps those expectations not kind of be in the supernova range. It can be some bulletin more material, which frankly, Florida State hasn't gotten a, a, a lot of this offseason. I think, I mean, we've talked about it. A lot of hype, 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 not a lot of pumping the brakes. And it was interesting hearing some Florida State some people up in Charlotte not who cover Florida State kind of talk about, well, how like how, how replicable is that? Do we think Florida State's as good as kind of the hype has made it out to be? And it definitely seems like there is more still for this team to prove than I thought maybe a month ago. But I get the impression, Kurt, when you talk to the kids 
not the public talk, but the things, because you guys have, have had access to them a little bit over the summer, when they're, when they're not with all the lights on, they're still repeating the line. I mean, they're, they're not saying how good they are. They're saying how good they want to be. I thought so. One point, one person in particular asked Jared Burst, you know, is like so much hype around Florida State is Florida State back? And I thought Jared had a really good answer. He basically said, "No, I don't think we're back. I think we're close. I think by the end of the season, we could say, oh yeah, Florida State's back, but we've got to work to get there." And I thought it was like that kind of summed up to me the week of like, yeah, no, like they're not satisfied. I'm not worried, especially with complacency with this team whatsoever. Well, you just know from covering the program for a lot of years, if you're closer to the program, you know what's coming a little bit further in advance than national media or media than our cover. For example, we knew there were cracks in the foundation of the program, and then lo and behold, 2020 comes along, and everybody says, what happened? And it's like, well, we kind of saw things, and now I feel like it's the opposite way. Separate the hype, uh, we look at it, we're about to talk about the position groups and the players and and we can look at it and go man they've upgraded at pretty much every position and returned everybody else right but but the tobacco road media doesn't necessarily realize that they brought in a guy from michigan state that might be better than than johnny is at receiver right i mean i think that's the part where there's a lag time on on expectations from others yeah i mean i i, I definitely think that's it, Fentrell Cypress is like probably the one transfer I would say has a decent chance of being all preseason all ACC tomorrow because he was all ACC last year at Virginia. You know, that's always the weird thing with transfers. And I'll admit to being guilty of it somewhat too when I'm looking at kind of across the rest of the ACC. And guys, I know, I think Louisville added a guy from Georgia State who was like 11th nationally last year in uh, in in receiving yards. It was like a, a very prolific receiver there, obviously at, a, at the, uh, the G5 level. But yeah, no, I mean, I voted Keon all preseason all ACC along with Johnny. I had two Florida State guys on there because I'm that high on, I think, how many yards each of those guys can have, how much production. But I'm not sure. I think Johnny will probably be the only one who gets preseason all ACC because of, like you mentioned, it's people don't, and like I said, I am not claiming to be above this. People don't do that level of research for something like pre preseason all ACC across the entire conference. What's, what's the biggest storyline going into to the camp, would you say, Kurt? I mean, when you guys talk amongst yourselves, what's the one thing you want to see early as opposed to late that would let you know this team is continuing to head in the right direction? Um, I think, I mean, obviously, you talk about like early in camp. I think the defenses normally start ahead of the offenses. But, like, if that happens on, more often than it doesn't or if that happens on a consistent basis, I think the questions are about this defense. We've talked about how prolific this offense is. If, I mean, you're seeing flashes from guys beyond Jared Burris and Pat Payton at defensive end, if that defensive tackle room, obviously, if we'll wait to hear about Daryl Jackson, we still haven't seen Braden Fisk in a practice. It'll be interesting to see where Fabian Lovett's at coming back from, from last season and how much time he missed. But – I think, I mean, you look at there, you look at linebacker, you look at safety or replacing Jamie Robinson is the one main question for me on that defense going into, into this year. I think it's, it, it is, I mean, how does that defense hold up? Because if that defense holds its own, that is very encouraging with what we think of the offense. One of the things, and this may not true in every game but I feel like I'm wondering if you share this sentiment Kurt the offense is going to put so much pressure on the opposing teams 
that it's going to help the defense in that way. I mean, you're looking at some games that could be out of hand and now the opponent's got to change their game plan or they become one dimensional. Now it's not going to go that way. All 12 games clearly against LSU and Clemson. It's not, but it, it just seems like, and that's assuming of course, that this offense is, is as good as we expect it to be, but it really, it just feels like it's going to be relentless pressure on the other team with the talent they have. Yeah, I mean, Norvell's M.O., it seems like really throughout his Florida State tenure, but even going back to Memphis, his time as an O.C., is building around what he has, building a passing-heavy offense that works well to that, if that's kind of your strengths right now, building the running game, if that's, I mean, so much, they use counters so well, I mean, about as well as anybody, if that's kind of where your strength lies. This team could do both. I mean, the scary thing about facing this offense is if you sell out to spy Jordan Travis – then you're 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 more limited in what you can do in stopping the passing attack. If you try and if you try and sit back to stop the passing attack, they're going to run it down your throats. If you're trying to stop the run, they're going to throw it over your head. They can do it all. There is no real surefire strategy if the offense is clicking that day for how to stop it because like they can just. I mean, the in-game adjustments from Norvell and Atkins have been really impressive as as they've kind of stayed here here longer at Florida State. Well, and the, the stopping the run, I feel like, is where teams will start. No game players say we got to stop the run first. But but the teams that are good enough up front to do that, potentially, those are the games where Travis is all of a sudden going to pull it and, and keep it, I would think, to try and break that. Like, if, if they're not getting four and five yards at a clip and they are only getting two or three yards, that's where Travis is such an X factor this year. No, for sure. I mean, those Florida plays, I kind of asked him about those, those Florida, I mean, those are the ones that as many amazing plays as he's had, those are probably two of the more miraculous, but he's, I mean, he is so good at creating, keeping plays alive, but he's also so good just at running read option. And if that's what they're giving him, he'll take it. And I think uh, that might be a welcome change for some Florida state fans that I think some people kind of thought, obviously staying healthy is the key, but he didn't run enough last year. There wasn't enough designed runs. And so you wonder, yeah, is that more a factor of the offense? Another thing I'm going to be anxious to see, and I think it will show early, at least in the first couple of weeks, uh, is, is the return game. Uh, can they find some yardage both in punt returns and kickoff returns? I know that's a priority in, in, a, in an offense, a, a total offense uh, for this program. I think it's going to be interesting to see who might step up. Yeah, I think you feel good about Trey Benson back there at kick returner. He, I mean, broke one last year. I think obviously using your number one running back there, there is a, an inherent risk of just putting guy, the guy in that situation. But punt returner, I mean, yeah, a low-key loss off the team was Micah Pittman. I don't think he's a huge loss at wide receiver, but he was a reliable punt returner. He uh, he he did really well in in that facet of, I mean, he wasn't the biggest playmaker, but it was the sure-handed catching all the punts not letting them hit the ground and bounce, which was a problem for kind of the, the years before. And so how does that shake out? I mean, a, a guy I'm curious to see in that facet is where does Destin Hill fit in? Is that a role he can have year one after kind of the delayed enrollment? Because we'll, we'll see how much of a role he has right away at wide receiver. No disrespect to Pittman, because I liked and I agree with what you said, but Florida State has made it look next to impossible to successfully return punts for a lot of years, which is why we're yep. celebrating Pittman. Yep. Keith, you can attest as a former FSU punt returner that it is not splitting the and surely there's somebody on this team capable of getting to the ball before it bounces. Uh, yes, that is a fact. <laughs> Let's find them. <laughs> Let's find them, exactly. 
All right, I got I had a couple uh, more questions I want to drill into, Kirk, but let's take a break and we'll come back with more front row holes right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Tom Block, Keith Jones, continuing our conversation with Kurt Weiler. And uh, Kurt, one of the one of the areas I'm interested in when you look at the offense I'm, I'm curious what plays out at the slot because I think we all know it's going to be Keon and Jimmy outside and when I say in the slot I don't just mean uh is it going to be Winston uh right there but I really mean how is how is Bell going to factor into that too because because it's sort of the same position I don't know if we'll get that answer in camp but but overall what are your thoughts on how that that might evolve it's funny I, I was literally working on a story about kind of position battle type things to watch during the preseason right before hopping on here. And that's one of the things I was touching on. It's fascinating. I mean, you, you, it's not going to be about so much. I mean, who starts, although that is obviously a conversation because they're all going to see the field, but how do you mix in? Yeah. I mean, you have Winston, Wright, Who I think looked a little better in the spring still, I think a little more room for him to work back. It'd be interesting to watch now entering preseason kind of, I guess, coming up on a year and a half removed from his accident. Where does Ja'Kai Douglas fit in there? I think he can kind of be lost in that room sometimes, and I was hurt last year too. But when he's out there, he just seems to make plays. I mean, he's just one of the better low-key, one of the better athletes on, on that side of the ball. Um, I think a wild card I, I, that I think I would implement sometimes is putting Kentron Portier there and having three six three guys on the field at once and just say, if, if one of them is agile enough to handle the slot, you know, good luck stopping three guys who can move pretty well at six three or taller. And like you mentioned, I mean, there's going to be some Jaheim Bell there. There may even be some Kyle Morlock there, Marquiston Douglas there, Lawrence Toafili there. I mean, you are going to have that's just kind of the the mo of this offense is getting getting playmakers the ball in space, and the slot's a great role to do that. Where I'm sure they're going to see so many guys there. Kurt, as, uh, as the Seminole Nation gets ready for things, they'll watch camp, but then they're going to get ready to be in Orlando. Um, on a national stage, it appears that that game is taking on increased importance. There are people all over the country talking about it now. Yeah, I mean, that's a uh, that's a chance for a statement. If 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 last year was a chance to say, you know, Florida State's taking a step in the right direction, clearly, by beating LSU in basically their hometown, this year's a chance to say Florida State is like a contender for the ACC, if not more. I mean, you look at the schedule, obviously, that that first month, it lines up for you where you're going to learn a lot early on. And obviously, there becomes a lot of pressure, frankly, on that Clemson game if you do beat LSU. But it's, it, I mean, Florida State probably wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind playing that one now, frankly, because I think they have a lot less questions than LSU, which has more, more new pieces they're going to be implementing. I know they replaced a lot in the secondary going into the year, but I mean, it's going to be a battle of probably top 10, maybe top 15 teams. And we battle of two guys who have some of the best Heisman odds and Jordan Travis and Jaden Daniels. I think two really good offense. I think two really good coaching staffs. And it's a uh, man. It's going to, I mean, it, it, I, I probably look back to like 2017 Florida state, Alabama of like a, the last time there was this much hype and like legitimate national hype around a Florida state football game. Let's hope the quarterback position doesn't fare the same in 23 as it did in 17, however. Thank you. Let us. Bring that up, AJ. Let us. You had to. You're, you off, had to you're off the show, Keith. You're off the show. Hey, I, Keith, weigh in on this. And, Kurt, your, your point, going back to the, the previous point you made about Fortier in the slot, 
this is where, so it's, you know, you got a seven receiver. I'm just thinking about teams defensively. You don't have multiple big corners typically. Most teams do not. And and you might, you have some safeties that are six too, but if you're putting six, seven Wilson, and then you have Coleman out there. I mean, if you know that the other team you're playing, their only slot corners or nickel corners are really small guys because they're accustomed to become, to cover a Ja'Kai Douglas. I mean, then Portier or more Jaheim Bell really makes sense as something you can completely exploit there. Does that make sense? Keith, what, I guess for your standpoint, in your day, the safety would come up and take that position or, or, or a linebacker would, but now it's just a corner at the start of the play. And the biggest thing that sometimes happens is when you get those bigger kids in the slot, it forces coordinators to stay in more zone coverage than man coverage because you don't want to isolate those guys over the middle. I mean, go back and look at what happens at the NFL level with Kelsey and those types of guys. When a quarterback can put the ball where it needs to be over the middle, it doesn't matter how well they're, they're covered. They just outleap them. Uh, and so that sometimes will affect the calls that defensive coordinators will make, uh, and that will open up a whole lot of stuff underneath. It's going to be fun to watch that part. I'm trying to think of other storylines, Kurt, offensively. I guess, and this is, we've reached this point where I'm about to suggest that who the backup center is is actually a question going in, but is that not a question? And I realize figuring out who the first five are on the offensive line, but I feel like we're all in this mindset that, you know, put names in a hat and pull out five of them and it'll be a, it'll be a real decent offensive line. But I'm curious well, how that evolves and, and particularly the center and if Roddick stays at guard or, or is the backup center. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, 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 uh, you're probably thinking about that because truthfully, I think that's the one spot on the line where you feel good about who the starter is going to be is Maurice Smith is going to be the guy. If he's healthy, Mike Norbell pretty much said as much back in the spring, didn't kind of create illusions around there being a real a position battle there with as more, much as Maurice played here. But yeah, that's a question. I mean, Darius Washington's worked there. Casey Roddick did work there some in the spring, had some snap issues. We're going to be frank. He hadn't played center before. That was kind of one of the few spots he hadn't played at much. And so, yeah, I mean, how much has, has he worked on that this summer? What's that look like coming into the preseason? I think the thing with Darius is my thing with Darius Washington this year, finally, I'm not sure he's going to be in the starting five. My thing for him is put him in a backup spot and keep him there. Do not make him the, oh, well, we lost our this position. We'll put Darius there. He's been moved around so much. I think some stability would be good for him. And frankly, if Casey Roddick doesn't have the snap and figure it out, maybe that is at center because Darius has played it in a game before and, and didn't have, I mean, huge issues. And I think it, it I think he's better. I mean, the offensive line is a spot now where I think he's an interior guy. You don't have to try and pass him off as a tackle anymore. Kurt, another way of saying what you're saying is if you have true backups, when yep. someone goes down, you don't have to have two new people in there. You only have to have exactly. one new person in. And that's yeah. that's advantageous as well. That was a huge problem for years where, oh, your right tackle has to go play center because you lost your center. So now you've got a new guy in at right tackle. They're in a spot now where I don't think they're going to have to do that much. I think they might have a true eight or 10 guys who are kind of like a true one, two. And it's not like, oh, we're going to move this piece here and this piece here. If this happens and have to play those games. Right. Orvell intimated that he's going to play more than five. Did he not? That uh, he, he, he I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think if you think about the way the D tackles or DNs rotate, it's like maybe every third series you're seeing the second teamers go in there for six or eight snaps, that kind of thing. How do you think they'll manage I think, that? I think he might do some of that early in the year. It feels like maybe not LSU, but maybe Southern Miss somewhat. It is interesting. He kind of seemed game plan dependent of maybe an understanding of 
oh, well, this is going to be probably a run-heavy game plan with what the defense is giving us, so we need to go with our better run blockers. It's another, like, nice nice spot to be in if you're Florida State. I'm curious how much of that happens as the season goes on. I'm curious to hear what Alex Atkins has to say on the matter tomorrow because uh, Mike Norvell kind of spoke for his uh, offensive line coach on that one, and I'm curious what Alex has to say because it's definitely a bit abnormal, but I feel like you've seen some. I mean, the 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 schools that have the luxury of depth there, like a Georgia, thing like that, have experimented some with that. And obviously, I mean, it's crazy to say, but Florida State's in the conversation now where I think, I mean, David Hale said, like, ranked their, their offensive line the best in the ACC, and they're in a spot where they can maybe do a little more of that, do the finagling. Hey, Tommy, we're going to have, we're going to have the mini Kentucky Derby. We'll call it the Florida Derby or something like that. Or whatever we used to call. At, I don't think we're back at those days yet. Kurt, Still Kurt Hurt in, the whole new eleven. We'll put in three more. We have to send Kurt VHS tapes from the Kentucky Derby days. Uh, when was that? Ninety five ish, ninety four, ninety five, probably. Yeah, at least, at least. Yeah. I still had I still had uh, light colored hair, and you still had hair. Noted, noted. Um, Kurt, your day's coming. Keith, the safety position. Uh, I was thinking, you know, Kurt was talking about some of the new personnel for LSU, and this is a storyline. Their secondary has a lot of new faces, especially at corner. I, I can't recall it's safety. Uh, so getting them in week one, it seems like there's going to be some opportunities there. If they, if you know, there's an opportunity for them to bust a coverage because they're not as familiar with one another. Uh, the same is going to be said if, if one of FSU's two starting safeties goes off the field for one snap, it feels like the opponent is immediately going to take a shot or test whoever goes in. So my question to you is how long – how concerned are you about getting depth at safety and how long will it take for some of the newer faces to, to gain confidence and be to, to be legitimate uh, players where there's not a huge drop-off in that situation? Well, it's going to take a little time, but the thing I like, and we, we've talked about this on prior shows, it, it, in my opinion, others may disagree, but it is much easier to take a corner and make them a safety than to take a safety and make them a corner. And if you look at the basics of these kids as they've come in and what they've played in high school and what they've played at the other schools when they've transferred in, they've been more corner type than safety type um, overall, overall. And so I'm not terribly concerned about it, Tommy. I, I'd be interested in Kurt's opinion. Um, you know, you can scheme to protect uh, and you can do some things. You're not going to ask your safeties to play on the slot. You bring in your fifth, uh, you know, your fifth defensive back will be another corner. Uh, so it's a concern, but I'm not overly concerned, if that makes sense. Kurt, what do you think? I'm I'm interested. I mean, Ashlyn Barker was kind of the 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 last member of the class, I guess, before Justin Cryer uh, last week for a reason. I mean, there I think they assessed uh, a, a need there for more depth for a guy who's only a year removed from being a high school recruit. I spent last year at JUCO. I'm interested. In this I mean, you're. I think we're going to see a lot of the top two. I think they would love to not rotate them too. I think Shaheen Brown is the chance to be a breakout type guy. I think he does a lot of what Jamie does, frankly. I think he is the best. If you're trying to just fill Jamie's role, I think he's the best replacement they have on the roster. But I'm interested to see what we see from the newcomers, from Ashlyn Barker, from I know Conrad Hussey's a guy who's drawn some hype. Is that where they put Edwin Joseph to start? I mean, you have options. It's just about finding the options who you can rely on to give you a set number of, of reps a game, probably not too many, but an existent amount. And it might have to come from a, a new player. We missed the obvious one, which is the kicking battle guys. That's where all eyes are going to be focused. 
Kurt, I haven't dug in. Has has Norvell ever operated with two kickers? You know, one guy for forty plus and one guy for thirty nine in. Or the, do you think you're one guy handling place kicking and one guy doing kickoffs? So what do you think this shakes out? The old Ricky Aguayo Logan Tyler approach that works so well. Yeah, um, I'm sure I there are know. some that have worked better. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I don't actually know the answer to that. I would lean towards no because I feel like not a ton of teams do it. Um, to me, it was always as as much as and i'm sure they, they've talked about kind of saying it was a competition and it was an even competition to me i mean through ryan Fitzgerald's struggles last year he did improve down the stretch it always felt to me tyler keltner the transfer is have to come in and be noticeably better than ryan fitzgerald to win the job i think if it's close you're probably leaning towards what you had obviously there's the unknown of how they handle games but uh frankly in the spring i think ryan was better I don't think Tyler did come in. I mean, for a guy who had success at the FCS level, I was not blown away by him coming in. So maybe he changes that this preseason. Maybe he's a gamer. But, yeah, no, I would probably lean Ryan Fitzgerald at the moment. Well, the, the thing that had to drive Coach Papushas as well as Coach Norvell crazy, and you were at most of the practices, he he kicked well during the practice. He just didn't kick well in the games. How, how, yeah. do, you, no, yeah. how do you figure that out? We, we didn't normally have to like track like, oh, he made this many of this many field goals at practice, but we were having to do that last year just when, when things were going really bad. Yeah, and, and maybe there's an – I don't know. I mean, if that's something you talk – you there obviously I know they have a, a sports psychologist on staff. Is that someone you set them up with him to try and get to the bottom of that, of where that – because, yeah, he, he – there were, there were not – there were days where he was not great at practice either, but on the whole, he was much better in practice than in the game. That didn't translate, and obviously – uh I don't know. We'll see how many close games Florida State's in. I think beyond the top two, maybe not a ton, but there are going to be some. And I mean, you look at if no other game, NC State directly last year was lost because they could not trust the kicker. To your point, though, he was better down the stretch, and it's because he changed his, I guess, not his mechanics, but his steps leading up to it. And the, the kicks that stick out in my head right now without looking at the stats, he missed big ones against Louisville, though they won the game. Mm-hmm. He missed some against, obviously, NC State, you said. Wake Forest, he missed uh, one early, like before halftime, I think, that changed the way you had to play in the fourth quarter of that game. Yeah, all those, were, all those were before he returned to what had been his lifelong, uh, basically two and a half steps instead of two, I guess. Uh, am I correct in that? Um, so I think you're right. I mean, if I'm looking at here, I'm going up with stats here. So he he did, I mean, yes and no. It improved in that, I mean, gone is the 0 of 2 from Louisville, the 0 for 2 against Wake Forest. But, like, even, I mean, he missed one. He was 1 of 2 against Syracuse. He was 1 of 2 against Florida. He was 2 of 3 against Oklahoma. Remember, it was an Oklahoma one that would have given him the lead, I think, and and, and he missed it. He did hit the one, the, the game winner later. He redeemed himself. But uh, it was still not perfect by any means. Or yeah. or But there was still, I mean – problems there but there was I think I mean there was no the offer was gone you know the the game where he was just a zero well Florida State's going to score touchdowns every possession this year so we're not going to worry about it they'll all come Seven, out all right Kurt we appreciate it uh, camp is just getting started make sure you hydrate uh for uh for fall camp during Keith's day when he had two a days KJ but uh it'll still be hot and and sunscreen where are your sunscreen We'll do. All right. We'll take a break, come back and wrap things up right after this. Thanks to Kurt Weiler. And this is Front Row Knowles. 
Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block, Keith Jones with some final thoughts. Uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited about the season. Obviously, that's a, that's a dumb statement, Keith. There, I haven't heard this much optimism and enthusiasm in, in some time uh, because it, it got so ridiculous. Thankfully, we're practicing now because about six weeks ago, we reached the pump the brakes phase of the hype. Like, there's too much hype. we got to pump the brakes. Um, the reality is I, I do think when you look at Florida State's roster in too deep, I mean, they should be pretty doggone good. Now, what does that equate to? We'll see. But, I mean, there's some talent on this team. Without question. And uh, as we, my question and response from Kurt, I don't think the kids are getting caught up in it. In other words, I think this is fan-driven and, and uh, Seminole Nation-driven and a little bit of media-driven. I don't think the kids are buying into the hype. And that's something you always want to protect against and try to keep a, a feel for. Uh, there's been times, even in the last 10 years, um, with, with different coaches, now, maybe not so much with Norvell, but prior, when you know the kids would start reading the press clippings, as they say, about how good they are and started believing it, and therefore weren't working as hard, weren't as committed, weren't paying attention, weren't as focused. I don't think any of those things are going to be an issue with this, this 2023 squad. You know, I, I don't really either. I, I, you know, I, I don't think it hurts or put another way, I think it probably helped psychologically that they weren't picked to win the ACC. Uh, as you look back a year ago, though they beat their rivals and won a bowl game, they didn't. They haven't won any trophies other than the Cheez-It Bowl trophy, right? They didn't win the ACC last year. I mean, all that is still out there. So to me, their their mindset clear, and this is the way Norvell is, if you spend any time around them, man, I, I don't know that I've ever seen somebody who manages every second of the day is always upbeat and is always preaching the same message. We talked about this a couple of years ago, Keith. If it didn't work for Norvell, it wasn't going to be because he didn't have a plan and he didn't and he didn't have a plan that he believed in because he's 100% uh, behind what what he talks. You and he I watched talk, that talk. Exactly. You and I talked when he first got here and we were we were around him. You and I would look at each other and go, "Is is this guy for real? You know, is this just part of the initial part and then he'll he'll calm down and settle down and whatever air quoted words you want to say but no this is the way he is uh, I, I liken it I had this conversation uh, about a month ago with somebody when they're talking about why was coach Bowden such a good recruiter and the reason is because he loved it he loved being in the homes he loved working with the coaches he loved being in front of the prospects He'd get up at four o'clock in the morning and fly home at 1130 at night, or he'd go on a three-day road trip. He embraced the recruiting process. I think Mike does that as well, but as importantly, he embraces the practice and the preparation and the, and the getting ready part, and obviously the organization. There, there's not been, I know Jimbo was very, very uh, meticulous on a lot of things that he did, but I've never been around a coach that is, and I'm not around Coach Norvell much at all these days, but I've never been around a coach that was that highly organized and that meticulous about the organization. On, on Tuesday of this week, Keith, he had a, a lunch and a meeting with, I'll call it support personnel, but that's not doing justice for many of these who are in full-time roles and, and work with FSU football daily, but basically not the players and the coaches, but the athletic trainers, the equipment managers, the dietitians, strength coaches, academic advisors, 
all those folks, radio crew is invited. Uh, and Norvell spoke for 90 minutes about uh, about the climb. If you've never seen him talk about the climb and what that entails, um, but but it's uh, it's impressive that he would devote 90 minutes to say this is the way we do business. This is why we do it this way. This is how you can should conduct yourselves because you're part of FSU football too. So uh, and and it's the same message he shares with the team. Just uh, impressive to find that kind of time. But he's always on message. It doesn't it doesn't vary. Matter of fact, he said he said I'm not a coach that's going to have a different slogan every year. It's always about the climb because these are the five key principles or the core principles that we need to follow each and every year. So that's as and for each and every one of you, and for each and every one of you that are listening to my voice, you're going to be held accountable to this as well. Now let's get with it. That yeah. Only he was much more. Uh, he was much louder and and more enthusiastic than what you just shared. <laughs> We're out of time, folks. We'll do it again next week. Fall camp is here. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks as always for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. <laughs>